0: Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, everybody. Prophet is Don here, and I am the senior pastor of Life Path Apostolic Agape House of Prayer. And this is the day that the Lord has made, and we shall rejoice and be glad in it. What a mighty God we serve. God is a mighty God. He's an awesome God. He is righteous and holy in all his ways. And as promised, we are coming together today to finish out the remainder of our study of the book of Genesis. Amen. How many of you know that God is a great God and it is not by chance that he has called us to this season of foundation building. He is building the foundation of our knowledge of who he is. And in as much as we have learned that as we've gone through the book of Genesis, that we cannot encapsulate the awesomeness, the the, the wonder of who God is, the, my, the mystery of who he is into the box, <laughs> the container that we try to put him in in our mind. Uh, God is a uh, an awesome God. The Bible says an awful God, meaning that there is a great deal of complexity to God, and it is impossible for our minds to conceive. The all of who he is. So God gave us, He gave us His word in Genesis to help us to at least have some uh, outline, uh, some ability to articulate the being of who he is. And so I thank and praise God for that. I thank Him for the uh, for the examples that He's given us uh, in the book of Genesis. But we are trying to make our way to Exodus. We are trying to make our way to Exodus. Exodus, And we acknowledge that we don't know all things. Amen. We, we did a very thorough review, but it still ain't enough. <laughs> we got to get into that word daily. And so I would admonish each of you to go back, don't turn your back on Genesis and say, oh, we done tick that one off the list. We learned all we need to know. No, 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 no. God is a living God and his word is alive. And therefore we learn and we gain so much from God. Uh, I think I mentioned this when we started our Bible study, that when we study, we're stuttering, we're studying, not stuttering, <laughs> we are studying Uh, to receive not only the context and the the theological word of God, meaning the, the knowledge and the learning of God. We are also looking for a rhema word, a right now word, a word from God that will help us to carry out the activities of our current day living. Amen. So God will speak through his word and allow us to apply it in our lives. Our goal is to learn how to apply the word of God to our lives. And we are taking an approach to study that allows us to uh, take the word, take the lessons that we are learning and to shape our lives accordingly. This is why we go through our discussions because it is my belief, it is my belief that in order to retain the information that we are gaining, that we are getting, uh, that that we, um, we better uh, uh, absorb it when we talk about it, when we discuss it, those uh, stories, those characters come to life. I also admonished us to consider as we're going through this study, as we're going through this study, consider this as uh, the history of our ancestors. For I am of the belief that we are direct descendants, direct descendants from the bloodline of Abraham. And I believe that. I believe that to be so. Amen. All right. So we're not going to spend a lot of time there because I want to get us through uh, the remaining parts of Genesis. So we started in the book of Genesis in chapter 37, chapter 37. And we made our way all the way through chapter 50. Again, it is okay. I want you to go back and read those chapters. And I thank God for the tools that we have uh, today, right? We can go and we can get the audio Bible and we can listen to it. You can listen on your way to work. You can listen when you're cleaning up the house. You can listen while you're working out. Uh, It will not take you long. I'm telling you, I love the pace uh, of these Bibles, but you also have the opportunity to slow them down or speed them up. So there is no excuse. God wants us to get this word. Amen. Uh, So go back, read those chapters, get them for yourself. I love the Message Bible, but I do not discount the many other versions and their contribution. uh, Some that are closer to the original text to help us to get better context. Amen. All right, so chapters 37 through fifty. Uh, before we get started, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for another opportunity to come into your presence, Lord God, as I began to minister and teach your people, Lord Jesus, your children, those that you love, the apples of your eye, Lord God, I just pray that you will speak through me, that you will use me in a mighty way, Lord God. Allow the words that I speak, Lord God, to hit the ears of those who are capable and able to receive. Open up our hearts to receive from you, Lord God. Oh, Father God, I don't come and and, any fashion or come for fame, Lord God, but I just pray that you allow them to see past me and to see you, my God, that they can receive what you have for them in this hour and in this season. Father God, I thank you and I bless you for your word in advance. I thank and I bless you for your presence, your majesty, and your holiness. I celebrate you for your power and I pray, Lord God, that you will allow us to receive from your word on this morning. Father God, nourish us. Mm. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Fatten us up with your word. Allow us to receive all that we need. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank God. Amen and amen. All right, so so, so, chapters uh, 37 through 50, it, it brings us to the end of the story of uh, Israel's earliest ancestors, okay? So it provides us the setting of what we see or what what we are preparing to see in the book of, of Exodus. So it gives us the foundation and it gives us the context and it provides us the uh, uh, history, or the ancestry, ancestry, Lord, the uh, ancestry, y'all know what I'm trying to say. (laughs) Ancestry, ancestry uh, of uh, Moses, Moses. So there's going to be a lot of focus on Moses in the book of Exodus. And uh, what I think it is key to understand is that it is believed that Moses is the author of the book of Genesis. It is believed that he wrote the book, if not all of it, the majority part of it, and he took their history in order to write the book. Now, let's be clear. It is my belief that the Bible is the all-inspired word of God. So it doesn't matter who penned the word, what scribes were used to, uh, 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 share the word. The reality is it is infallible because it is provided by God infallible meaning without flaw. Amen. But I bring up the point just to say that it was important to Moses to set the stage so that we had a clear understanding of what was to come. Amen. All right. So so they give an account for how the Hebrew people came to be in Egypt uh, where they were found in slavery at the beginning of Exodus. And so that's where I go back and I say, let's receive this as our ancestry because of the fact that we are direct descendants of the Hebrew people. We know that we all come from Adam and Eve, but we understood that God separated and set apart a set group of people that he had a a relationship with and he was building a foundation of a covenant with. And we are the descendants of those people. And although there are others who take... uh, 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 who, who who tried to take ownership is the word I'm looking for who take ownership of that uh uh, uh ancestry we know that we are as African Americans as black people we are descendants of that bloodline all right so so here as we continue through uh these uh scriptures what you'll learn is that joseph Joseph, uh, who is one of the uh, sons of Jacob, of uh, the 12 tribes of, of Israel, he was born to Rachel and Jacob as part of their two sons. But he was part of a larger family of 12. And so we know that he is the central character of these final chapters. And God wants us to understand, understand Joseph's role. And one of the key things that we learned as we were going through this study is that although Joseph, Joseph was not declared as one of the leaders, that he was a patriarch, but he was not a ruler over the tribe of, um, um, of his lineage Uh, that was to be given or granted to his sons. But it was important that he played a very imperative part in bringing the blessing to the children of Israel and those 12 tribes of Israel. And so we learned that he had a very significant, very significant part uh, in doing this, okay? And so... Uh, the theme of promise uh, that God had for his people that we saw in the prior chapters, the, the theme of the promise, where we talked a lot about the promises that God had given to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, who is now Israel, those that theme was kind of moved or pushed To the background. And so we started to see how God was not necessarily speaking to the main characters directly. God was not having direct conversations with Joseph, He was not engaging with him uh, that way. It was more so by His dreams. And so during that ancient time, Oftentimes, they believe that God would speak to you through your dreams while he was speaking directly to his people. There was a season of time, and I believe that we still experience that today, where God speaks to his children when they are sound asleep. Now, we talked about that one time before as how, you know, sometimes it's easier (laughs) when he has our whole attention. Uh, to 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 speak to us uh, during during that time during that time, and so what we what we found as we continued through uh, these passages through thirty seven through fifty that uh, the narrative about Joseph is a little bit more polished than the earlier ancestor uh stories and and I feel like we can we can more relate uh as as we continue along the path so as we started getting to the end of Genesis it became more relatable more modern uh in a sense right because because now their traditions are more congruent or consistent with some of the things that we experience today, amen? So, so you know, it, it just was a little bit more polished. And so uh, in, in the beginning, when we began to learn about Joseph uh, around uh, 37, uh, chapter 37, verses 2 through 36, we learned... About Joseph, and he's introduced as a little brat. You know, he's 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 a little bit err uh, errant. He's a little bit arrogant. Uh, he's spoiled, and he's extremely snitchy. He's he's one of them snitches that the brothers just had to show him. You know, snitches get stitches. But uh, Joseph in these scriptures, was introduced as being arrogant, spoiled. And, and this is where we find he's, a, he's around 17 years old. And, and so we learn of the favor that Jacob, uh, who is now Israel, had uh, for Joseph and this favor that he had over uh, Joseph's uh, brothers and, and the sons of Leah. Amen. So we we saw that uh, Jacob reinstituted the flaws of parenting that his parents demonstrated between him and his brother. So if you remember Esau and Jacob, uh, uh, both of the parents had favor. Rebecca favored Jacob, and uh, Isaac favored, um, uh, Esau. Amen. So you remember that. So, so, uh, Jacob is just doing what he, what he's learned, you know, through parenting from his parents. And so he had favor over Joseph, who was the, uh, the child born in his old age. And so I can understand, you know, being a a young parent and then growing a little bit older and maturing and and having a child when you're older. You become more mature. You do things differently. And as I say, you just get tired. (laughs) I was running running up under them older ones. But boy, oh boy, you just get tired uh, when, when, when you have the other ones. I mean, the younger ones. But anyway, What's important here is that uh, Joseph had a dream where he concluded that he would have authority over his brothers. And so when he tells them about the dream, uh, which, which indicates that they will serve him, they decided that they wanted to get rid of him. And so at first they considered killing him, but Judah talked them into uh, selling him as a slave. And so it's key that here, uh, you know, Judah, who represents praise, was the one that um, said, "Look, let's not let's not kill him. Let's just go ahead and sell him off." But his oldest brother, uh, uh, Benjamin he figured, he said, well, I'm just going to go along with it and, and let him put him in this well, and then I'll come back for him, but when he came back for him, it was too late. He had already been sold off. And and, and what's key here, and going back to my point about um, the belief that Moses was writing these passages, because during that time, uh, The Ishmaelites, the Ishmaelites, remember uh, Ishmael, the, uh, did I say Ishmael, Ishmael, Ishmaelites, Ishmael, which was um, Isaac's brother, if you recall, in the story where God had made the promise to Abram and Sarai that they would have a son. But of course, Sarai didn't want to wait on God And just like Eve, she tried to influence God's will doing things her own way, and she messed everything up. And so she committed her handmaiden to her husband, and they produced a child, which was technically Abraham's firstborn. He was his firstborn. He should have been the heir to the... Kingdom to the promises, and he should have received the blessings based on their tradition. But because of how they did things, he was overshadowed by his brother Isaac, who God had demonstrated those blessings and that inheritance through. But nonetheless, uh, Sarai and, and Abraham and Sarah decided to do things their way. And so this was the creation of another nation uh, that was not under the covenant with God. And so many people, many people, depending on your angle and how you look at the scriptures, many people see the Ishmaelites as the modern day uh, uh, um, Muslim or, or or those tradition uh, religions uh, uh, see them Separated from Christianity, so this is the other um, religious set was derived from the Ishmaelites. But the key that I'm trying to make in a long-winded way is that uh, in the scripture, you'll notice that the um, the writer or the author mentioned the Medianites medianites. M-I-D-I-A-N-I-T-E-S. Y'all know I have no problem with spelling stuff so y'all can sound it out and say it. If I say it wrong, don't get distracted. But the key point there is that the reason that they referred to them in that way is because that was a modern um, uh, term for them, right? Because the person who had uh, written it at that time, uh, the Midianites were commonly referred to, or that was how the Ishmaelites were referred. So it it sets us in a time uh, where we know that it had to be somebody who was more modern writing this, right? So it kind of lends to, and I, I gave a whole explanation about something that's so minute but it 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 just it kind of lends to the fact that it had to be written by someone uh that was that was in a future generation that is recalling uh the story and and i think it you know it is a little bit significant because even though even though here's here's where i the beauty of who god is even though the author was in a point in time. So Moses was in a point in time where he was living out these things. And not only was he uh, taking us back to understand the history of the foundation, he was scribing at at that moment, he was uh, uh, documenting the, the time and and the things that was happening. So you have you had two things going on at the same time. Moses was going back. He was he was pulling together uh, this content uh, from however they had it uh, written. Either and and the reason I say that is because we know that there were some scrolls that were used uh, to to. Um, to pull this history together, but also, you know, tradition, word of mouth, you know, so he was putting this together and he was dictating these things that were happening in that very moment as he was pulling this stuff together. I don't know if that blesses anybody other than me, but that just, I'm telling you, because I parallel parallel it to my life, you know, when I go back and I look back at things. And if I was to write my story about what is currently occurring in my life, and I wanted to give a depiction of, you know, my parents, their lives and their parents, parents and things like that. It's just, it's the same thing. So anyway, so Judah caused the traders, whom he and his brother sold uh, Joseph to the Ishmaelites. And so the narrator refers to them as the Midianites in the very next text. Uh, So this suggests that the author was living at a time when the nation of the Midians uh, already existed. So that was long after the time of the events that were being narrated in uh, chapter 37 uh, in and around. Uh, chapter I mean uh, verse 27 or 28 or something like that uh, so so they existed long after this uh, and these events are being narrated at a time of those events uh, they were no longer I mean they were no more than three generations of descendants of Ishmael so they were not yet even an, an, a nation Amen. So, so just understanding those timelines uh, is is imperative. But when we get into when we come out of the book of, uh, of Genesis 37, and I'm, this thing is scaring me, I don't want it to take me out of here. So let me make sure uh, I don't have any of these alarms on. Uh yeah. All right. So we should be good but I still need to watch my time. I'm 25 minutes in and, uh, it cuts me off an hour. All right. So, uh, as we come out of the book, of Genesis, uh, chapter 37, and as we enter into, uh, chapter 38, It kind of cuts from the story of Joseph, where it was telling us the story about Joseph and his brothers and his father and how, you know, hey, I can relate. You know, you got them little sisters and brothers that they just snitch on you. I I think I was the Joseph in our family, uh, but I, I don't remember myself being a snitch. But I do remember my father would would want me to go with my older sister and boy I tell you she couldn't stand me (laughs) having to go with her I remember you know my dad would send me to the store with her you know and and make me go and and be the lookout and and you know I never would bring back no bad reports I do recall but I ain't gonna go into it uh, a situation where I witnessed something (laughs) I got in trouble just with her the, the same way but anyway we know how them little siblings can be tattertales and, and you know, they get a little bit of favor from the parents and they get haughty and feel like they something, you know. And, and so the, the older siblings, they said, we got something for you. And they were kind of bold. If you look at it, <laughs> they, they were they were ready to kill them. But anyway, so so Genesis 38, it it, it kind of takes us from that main story about Joseph and his brothers, and it focuses on the brother Judah. And so in this story, uh, Judah, he actually had three sons. And so um, he he uh, finds a wife, and this was one of their traditions, they would find spouses for their children. We need to get back to that. I'm about ready to find a few spouses, which again I declare and decree this year is gonna be the year of marriage. I, I I said it a couple of what three years ago I started talking babies <laughs> and I got I got all them babies. Lord, let us have that same favor with marriages, my God. Ready for my kids to come under covenant. But anyway, that ain't what we're talking about. Uh so so anyway, Judah he found um a wife for his oldest son. So he had three sons. So he found the wife for his oldest son. And so this son uh, actually died. And so Judah, he he commanded his second son to marry the wife that he found for his first son. And so uh, the Bible shares her name as Tamar or Tamar, or however, but I call it Tamar, and it's another Tamar in the Bible too, later on, uh, I think it was uh, David's daughter, but anyway uh, Tamar was the, the name of the wife and so uh, I learned this word um, I hope I say it right, Leveret marriage, L-E-V-I, L-E-V-I uh, R A T E, Laveret marriage. I had to look it up, and and what it means is it was their it was their tradition of um the way that their tribe or or their tradition was set up, the men had a responsibility to take care of the women, and I think I touched on this one time before, when we when we talk about how our founding Uh, fathers of the faith, founding fathers of the faith, and and even founders of humankind, right? So we talk about Adam and Eve, and, and God said, go be fruitful and multiply. The way that they were multiplying during that time is totally different in how we multiply today. That's why you had Uh, families and and siblings were mating with each other and producing. And so that even shifted, right? When we got to uh, this generation, which was Jacob's or Israel's generation, uh, they were still marrying cousins and so at that time they weren't necessarily mating with siblings but now they're mating with you know second third cousins you know stuff like that and now today even in our society they say if you three four removed then it's okay for you to to marry but you know I don't, I don't know about all that but anyway the point that I'm making is that they had um Uh, During that time, they had a a structure in their tradition where the men took care of the women of the tribe. And in order for you to take care of someone, you had to incorporate them into your household. And so this is where the pattern of these men having multiple wives, having multiple wives uh, occurred because the wife just simply meant that you were a mistress of the household, you were, you were, uh, uh, you know, someone that was a part of the household, and they produced children. They were still multiplying. I guess I'm sharing all of this to say that it was never God's intention. It was never God's intention that man had multiple wives. That was never God's intention. That was what man instituted, and God allowed. God permitted. And we'll find this as we continue to go through the Bible. There are some things that man instituted that God allows, but it goes against the grain of what he originally intended for uh, mankind, but it was allowed. So if you are sitting here in 2023, we are in 2023, and you're saying, okay, well, hey, I'm going to have a bunch of women, a bunch of wives. Hey, they did it back then. (laughs) As long as you can take care of them, you can have have as many as you want. Or if you want to go on the flip side of it, I'm going to have as many men as I want. They, they, They had a whole bunch of them back then. Listen, that is not God's will. It was his permissive will to allow it. Uh, but that is not God's will. Now, I ain't debating with nobody on it. You know, if you don't have that same revelation, go ahead and do it how you want to. But in the day of reckoning and judgment, you ain't going to be able to say you didn't know because you heard me tell you. That is not God's will. But anyway, what was I talking about? All right. So, so Judah, Judah and Tamar, Judah and Tamar. This is a very fascinating story. So, so. uh uh Liveret, uh, liveret, li- liveret. How do you pronounce that word? I need to go. I need to go and get the pronunciation uh, for that word, so I won't be saying it wrong. But anyway, that that tradition that they had that the man was responsible for taking care of um, of of the women of the women, and so when his eldest son, when his oldest son died. He had found this wife for his son, but now his son died. So uh, he commanded his second son to marry Tamar. And so his second son married Tamar. But, you know, I mean, hey, he just was walking in the tradition. And so he didn't really want to produce or reproduce with her because he figured, hey, this is my, my brother's wife. You know, I want my own seed. And so, he, instead of impregnating her, as was their tradition, and again, as ordained by God, he decided that he would spill the seed. He wasn't going to uh, reproduce with her. And as a result, as a result, he was punished by God by the very loss of his life. And so, The other thing that makes this imperative and important is because through the bloodline of Judah, through the line of Judah, uh, came uh, Jesus as a descendant, as a direct descendant of that that line. And so we're going to learn that as we continue through the scriptures. But this is why it was so imperative that they followed the, the instruction, the pattern, uh, what God had ordained. So here we have Judah, who is one of the 12 tribes of Israel, who is one of the 12 sons that are recognized in uh, the book of Genesis as the chosen of uh, Jacob's sons. Remember, Jacob or Israel had more than 12 sons. Uh, He even had daughters. Uh, But anyway, but these were the 12 that were recognized because of the covenant that they had. So Judah being one, and I I recently learned, I don't know why all of these years I thought Judah was the, the fifth son, but he actually was the fourth. And if any of you know, I know I've shared this before in my family, we are we are twelve. I have uh, eleven siblings, or I say eleven living siblings. Uh, we did have a few uh, that not that did not make it, but we recognize ourselves as twelve. But in actuality, we probably more like seventeen. I told my mama one time twenty-something. and She got upset with me, so I'm gonna stay with fifteen. <laughs> but being Uh, that Judah was the fourth. I would say, oh, okay. You know, I like that. And um, anyway, uh, but my point is his second son did not... He was not obedient, right, to, to what his father had instructed. And so, as a result, he died. And so now... Judah uh, decides, look, and th- this is in my mind. I don't know. Y'all read it for yourself and come up with your own conclusion. But he said, nah, the first one done died. The second one done died. Something up with this broad. So he told her, he said, look, I want you to wait for my third son. And I'm 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 a I, you know he was younger than the other ones. He said, I'm gonna preserve him for you. But I know somehow Tamar got hip and she said, He ain't gonna give me this this boy. And so uh, fearing that he might lose the third son, uh Judah, he he pretty much failed to comply with the cultural norm. So he broke the practice. Of a man marrying his deceased brother's widow, in order to provide uh, uh, an offspring to keep the family going, because that was the tradition, right? You you would marry the widow, but but Judah said, "Look, I I, I I'm I'm really not going to do this." He didn't say it out loud, but he told her. He said, "Tamar, you, you can wait. You can wait for this one when he get older. You know, I have him for you." But she wasn't dumb. She she wanted to get what was rightfully hers. And so uh, at or around uh, 38 and, and 15, if you continue to read through 21, what you will see is that Tamar dressed herself up and pretended to be a prostitute. And so she pretended to be a prostitute. Now, now I'm going to step away from this for a minute because I never understood... Uh, People who are well-versed in the Bible, you know, they take and pick these names out the Bible, which a name is a name, but a name, you know, it carries something, I guess. Who would name their kid Tamar? And then turn around and wonder why she's so much drama. <laughs> Both of the Tamars I read about in the Bible, well, I mean, hey, it was some drama attached on. But anyway, I mean, I guess all of them. But I'm talking about them Braxtons naming their daughter uh, Tamar. But anyway, so Tamar pretends to be a temple prostitute, and and uh, she seduced Judah. She seduced Judah, um, and and it's something about this here. Well, we we know that Judah's wife uh, had had passed, so he was he was a single brother out there. Without a wife, but it almost seems like it was a common practice for them to get these prostitutes. And so, uh, she veiled her head so that he wouldn't know who she was, and he and she seduced him. And so, after that seduction, she actually became pregnant. And so, she did. Judah did not know who she was. And he gave her some symbols, some things uh, to pay her, or kind of like a down payment from the sexual act that she was um, performing. Okay? So when it was revealed that Tamar had become pregnant, Judah judged and demanded that she be executed. But during the exchange of sex, as she was giving him uh, sex, she said, give me something, give me something. And so he gave her his seal. And that seal was very important because it was the mark of who you were. And it was almost like, you know, your, your signature to say, okay, this shows or proves that it's me. And so in Genesis uh, 38, 26, as it was brought in, Judah was so uh, stern about the judgment. When he found out, she said, look, I'll I tell you who the daddy is. The-, the pappy is whoever gave me this seal. And so real quick, Judah got himself together. And he says, she is more in the right than I am since I did not give her my son Sheila and so he promised her something didn't give it to her and she had to do what she had to do you know so so in this story it it highlights the importance of uh, the, the liver at marriage uh, as a right for or a right of the widow woman it, it also refl- reflects the negative um, disposition of Judah and the light that it put him in. And it shows the humanity, the, the uh, fallibility of man not knowing what your future holds, Tamar took, took, you know, things into her own hands. And so she wanted to be a part of this tribe because the, the namesake of the most prominent southern tribe of, of Israel was, was on the line. And so she wanted to be a part of that, and she felt that she had the right. And so what you'll what you'll find is that in this story, when you think about the genealogy of Jesus Christ, uh The children that were born to her because Tamar, she wound up having uh, twins. And so the twins that she had from Judah, let me see how, um, can't remember their name, but I'm not going to focus on that right now. But anyway, she had two boys, and the same thing happened to where the younger became the ruler over the older. And so what we'll learn in the New Testament as we get to it is that Judah and those twin sons are actually mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. So there is the tie there uh, to to that uh, genealogy. Amen? All right. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, everybody. Where did we end at? I think we we were talking about um, Judah, Judah and Tamar. Uh, we are, in this study, we are evaluating or reviewing uh, Genesis chapters 37 through 50, uh, and we made our way through 37 and 38. Uh, we were talking about uh, the introduction of Joseph. Uh, the Bible introduces Joseph as a character. and and I believe that much of Joseph's story is literal uh, versus, um, you know, uh, just uh, idealistic. I believe it is it, it is a uh, depiction of history and historic events during that time. Uh, But that is just my opinion because we know that the Bible is peppered with many, many stories that you can either take literally or figuratively. Uh, But anyway, but in this telling of the story, while there are many lessons that we can glean from them, I believe that most of the account is historic, uh, a, a historic documentation of what occurred during that time. But anyway, Uh, uh, It was, I think we talked about uh, Judah and his relations with um, Tamar became kind of (laughs) complicated in that she veiled herself as a prostitute uh, so that she could conceive a child because her husband had died, her husband, which was Judah's son, And in that time, uh, it was the expectation that if a widow um, uh, was left behind, the family was obligated to take care of her. And most often that meant the men, the next of kin male that was unmarried uh, would marry uh, and and take care of and carry on the legacy of their family member uh, through their wife. And so uh, Judah made some promises he never intended to keep. As he uh, he said, look, you know, you got my oldest son. And when the old, oldest son died, he gave her the second son, the second oldest son. And the second oldest son refused to give her his seed. And so as a result, uh, he perished. And Judah promised her the youngest or the younger son, uh, who was, you know, just an a adolescent or, you know, not even a teenager at that time, and that she would need to wait, but she knew and understood that uh, Judah was not going to carry out that promise. It's almost like, you know, as parents, we say, you know, we give false expectations. Okay, we're going to do this later, you know, but the kid already, know, uh-uh, no. No. So anyway, um, uh, she took matters into her own hands. And so she pretended to be a prostitute. And Jude, uh, Judah uh, had relations with her and, and they conceived uh, twins. She, she was pregnant with twins. So anyway, that's where I think we ended at. And if you want to go back and Take a look at the genealogy uh, and the tie into uh, Christ and uh, his uh, uh, conception and and lineage. Uh, Take a look at the book of Matthew chapter 1 verse 3. Amen. All right, so let's get back to our study. So we've gotten through 37, 38. And so here we are in verse 39, verse 39. So so what you'll see, what you'll find is that um, in this narrative, in this narrative, when we talk about Joseph, it's almost like a, a, a rags to riches type story. I remember when we were younger, It used to be a show called Rags to Riches. I believe it was a, a young man. I, I need to go back and 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 watch that again uh, because I, I, I used to watch it regularly, but I almost forgot what the storyline was. But I, I almost think it was a young man who... Uh, had went to stay with family members who were rich or something like that. But anyway, rags to riches. But this was a rags to riches story uh, about Joseph. Joseph uh, being favored by his father. His father had lost uh, his wife, uh, his wife that he loved so much, uh, uh, Rachel. Rachel and um, Jacob. Uh, had married, and we all know the story about how Laban uh, tricked them into working double so he can get Rachel. Rachel is who he originally wanted, but he tricked them and gave them Leah, uh, his oldest daughter, because by their tradition, you could not marry off the younger daughter before the older daughter, and so he tricked them and made him work double. Uh, for both of the women, and and eventually uh, Rachel, during childbirth, uh, had perished, and so she had perished. So there was a great sentiment and love and compassion that Jacob had for uh, Joseph. Uh, he he really really loved him, and. Not to mention, as we talked about earlier, you know Joseph would go out and and spy on his brothers and come back and bring report to his father. So there was a, a element of trust there uh, that that he had. So anyway, it's it's a it's a rags to riches story of of here we have this young man who has been sold off by his brothers, the very ones that he trusted the most and. I would even venture to say that if it was anyone else, if it was anyone else, they wouldn't have been able to get the jump on him. But because he let his defenses down, he let his wall down, uh, his brothers were able to have that advantage over him. And so they wanted initially to kill him, but then they decided, okay, no, no. We're going to go ahead and sell him, and so they sold him, and so Judah was the one who enacted the sale, and uh, his oldest brother wanted to uh, save his life. He figured, he said, well, I'll go along with it. Let him put him in the pit. I'll come back and save him, but when he returned, when he had returned, he realized that his brother uh, was no longer there, and that. Uh, they had sold him. And so he went from being sold to being jailed or in prison for a crime that he did not commit. And so eventually he would gain favor, he would gain favor and be released by Pharaoh because of his ability of his ability ability to uh, decipher and interpret uh, dreams and I don't know why my tongue messing up uh, but he would he would be released and not only released he would be given rule and authority over the entire nation. So this is a rags to riches story. And how many of you know that many times we feel like circumstances and situations outside of the realm of our control happen in our lives. And we've watched many people have trial after trial, trouble after trouble, but things they had nothing to do with. And it seems like a sad, sad fact, but I get solace and knowing that the same God who covered and 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 positioned repositioned Joseph in a place of leadership and authority is the same God who is governing our circumstances and situations today. So he's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. We just we can just cry out and call out to him for the things that we stand in need of, in need of. So we talked a little bit about this, but uh, Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelites, the Ishmaelites. And so we know that they are the descendants of Ishmael. Uh, Ishmael, who was, um, uh, of course, Isaac's brother, Isaac's brother, Abraham's son. Uh, So he was taken to Egypt by an Ishmaelite trader, and he was sold to Potiphar. Potiphar, uh, we learn in the text, is the officer of Pharaoh. He was a high-ranking officer of Pharaoh. And so Joseph, because of who he is and because of who he was, he quickly gained the respect Of his master. And so the master put uh, Joseph in charge of the household. So he gave him rulership or authority or leadership over the household because he had gained favor with them. How many of you know that we have been sold out, (laughs) Uh, uh, undermined, and taken advantage of by those that we? Revere and hold close to our hearts and put into bad situations, but God will raise us or elevate us even in the midst of our, our trials and in the worst situation and circumstances. Look at Joseph being elevated and raised to a place of leadership, even in the midst of slavery. And so, uh, he, while he was placed in charge of the household, Potiphar's wife was very much attracted to him. She was very much drawn to Joseph. And and I would even consider that that attraction was because of how Joseph poised himself, how he positioned and carried himself. And he, in my imagination, was a manly man (laughs) who took control and knew how to lead. And so uh, Potiphar's wife had her eyes on him. And she wanted to be with him, and she attempted to seduce him. And in my mind, it makes me think this probably ain't the first time she ever did it because of how she responded uh, to his... um, rejection he he refused her advances he rejected her advances and that offended her and so as a result of that offense she accused him of trying to seduce her and she lied and said that he attempted to seduce her when in actuality she was trying to seduce him and so as he tried to escape her advances, and I'm talking about physically escape them, he, you know, uh, wiggled his way out of his garment and left it behind. And that is the thing that she used as evidence to accuse him of something that he had not done. But because there was physical evidence and the word of someone with influence he was condemned to a crime that he had not committed. Boy, I tell you, when I just, I'm th- <laughs> we have so many similar uh, experiences. Boy, oh boy, people will just take the word of somebody that is a manipulator over somebody who is telling the truth because number one, they trust those individuals, and number two, they give them some faulty uh, uh, tangible evidence that really could be the result of anything. Uh, but anyway, he he got out of it, but then she accused him and he was thrown into uh, prison. He was thrown into prison. But we can rest assured that even in the midst of this situation, God was yet with him. And the way that we identify or we um, uh, not justify, that's not the word I'm looking for, but the way that we uh, uh, understand that God was with him is by the favor, the favor that rested on him from being sold into slavery to going to Potiphar's house and being appointed as a leader. That was the favor of God. And so when he got into jail, he uh, he was also respected by the jailer. So God allowed him to be prospered to gain the respect of his master and his master's house. But yet when he was in prison, he also received the respect of the jailer, those officials that had rule and authority. They put him in a position of rule and authority. And while we see That God is with him and we see the evidence of God's presence by the favor that was given to him, we notice that with Joseph, unlike his father Jacob, God is not speaking directly to him, but he is manifesting through him. And this is very important because it lends to the fact that our relationship with God is so unique to our experience or our relationship with him directly one-on-one, that we cannot um, rely upon how God interacted with others to base the foundation of how he'll interact with us. There are some similarities and some core uh, threads of who God is and how he relates to his people. But there are some unique, there's some uniqueness and and Um, peculiarities about how God deals with us one-on-one. So anyway, I thought I would mention that is that, you know, he spoke to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob directly or in, in certain ways. But in this instance, we're seeing God speak through the favor that rests on Joseph's life. So as we continue through the scriptures, uh, when we get into chapter 40 through 41, Joseph is able to interpret these dreams. And so um, it lends to the fact that God was shifting how he interrelated to his people, how he communicated with his people. And so during this time, dreams were treated as a means by which God would speak and direct activity through his people and it was through dreams. And so I think I've shared this before about how when I get into the Word, when I, it's a, when I confirm my faith and what I read, is because I experience these things myself. And still, you know, thousands of years later, God is still communicating to his children in the same way. We have dreams. And, and he speaks to us through our dreams still today. And so these ancient people, they believed that dreams will reveal uh, the future. And during that time, dreams were greatly respected. And so interpreters of dreams were also uh, respected, And so when we get into these chapters, uh, Joseph is presented as an interpreter of dreams because he did interpret dreams for his fellow prisoners when we uh, read in chapter 20. And then he interpreted the dream, uh, dreams that Pharaoh had. Yet he directed us back to God as the actual interpreter. He's just a voice piece. God was in, God provided the dream, and God interprets the dream. so anyway, we know the story because we talked about it time and time again about uh how. Joseph remains in prison and is charged with the care of two other prisoners. And they were the cupbearer and the baker of Pharaoh. They were Pharaoh's cupbearer and and his baker. And so Joseph interprets the cupbearer's dream as a good omen, signaling that uh, it was imminent that he would be released from prison and restored to his job. But for the baker, the dream was a bad omen, signaling signaling that it was imminent that he would be executed. And so both of these dreams had come to pass within three days, as Joseph had predicted. And so Joseph, when he gave the dream to the cupbearer, he asked him, remember me when I get out. And the cupbearer did not remember him until a couple of years later when Pharaoh had two dreams, parallel dreams, and they disturbed him. And he could find no one to interpret them. And so the cupbearer, to me trying to win favor. Let me get you the hookup. I I, I know a guy. (laughs) He told Pharaoh about Joseph's ability to interpret dreams, so Pharaoh sent for him. And so Joseph interpreted the dreams as one, and although he had two separate dreams, he interpreted them as one and, and the same. And so one of the things that stands out to me is that Joseph having the gift that he had that could sustain himself, he cleaned himself up and he prepared himself, he presented himself to be able to present the gift. And it's something important about that because I believe, that when we represent God, we must represent him in our best fashion. Although the gifts that we have come without repentance. And we know and acknowledge that the Holy Spirit, the anointing that is on our life, comes at a cost and comes with a price. The price that had to be paid by Joseph. In order to be able to exercise this gift was a cost that many of us did not want to pay. Here he was, sold into slavery and put into prison. You notice that the gift did not manifest itself in a way that prospered or benefited Joseph until he was in prison until he was placed into prison. Remember, his first dream was <laughs> where he saw that he was going to have rule and authority over his brothers, and that didn't prosper him. That got him in trouble. They said, oh, "We sick of you. Oh, we're gonna, we're gonna imprison. I mean, we're gonna sell you into slavery. We're gonna enslave you." And as if that wasn't good enough. God said, yet even in the midst of you being sold and and um, uh, I, I don't know why my brain just can't think of the word I want to say, my goodness. You know when folk take advantage of you, even though you've been sold and, and done wrong by those that you love the most. I'm still with you. And God's favor never left him. But the dream, the gift that God had given him, it didn't do him no good. It got him in trouble. But it was when he was imprisoned that that gift being manifest, the first time it manifested itself and was exercised, it didn't do him no good because the cupbearer, just like many of us. He took, he took what he can get and went on about his business and forgot about Joseph. But the day came that God positioned him to be able to use his gift in a way that would position him to become a leader, the leader of a nation. We understand that to whom much is given, much is required. And that as he was faithful over a few things, God made him ruler over many. So anyway, back to the interpretation of this dream. So what Joseph was telling him is that in the dream, they indicate seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine. And so then he told Pharaoh, he said, you need to appoint an overseer to, the, to store up the food during the years of plenty so that the land may survive the years of famine. And so Pharaoh, being astonished and amazed by this dream interpretation and how wise Joseph was, And how he articulated these things. He wind up appointing him. To the position. That was needed to oversee. And he gave him authority. Over all of Egypt. So he goes from. Prisoner to to ruler. (laughs) and, And what seems to be all in one. And so when we had the years of plenty Joseph traveled uh, throughout the land overseeing the collection and the storage of the food he wanted to make sure that they were collecting and and scaling and being proportionate and how they were storing the food but when the years of famine began uh, other countries were not prepared, and the surrounding nations came to Egypt to buy food. And so we know in the beginning, as they had the resources, they had the money or whatever the uh, monetary exchange to purchase the food. And then as the famine progressed, they bartered grain for the food because they no longer had money. So then, as the famine progressed even further, they gave their services. And so this is the introduction of indentured servants. So remember, Egypt had always practiced uh, slavery and and enslavement. And so... uh, It it reminds me of how we went from, in our own country, slavery to, um, oh, Lord, why did I lose that word? I know y'all got it on the tip of y'all tongues. Y'all saying it now. Uh, Sharecropping. Sharecropping. It's, It's the same thing. It's the same thing. Same philosophy where you... I will give you what you need in exchange for your labor. And so what began to happen was they were more indebted. The labor that they owed was more than what they could pay over a period of time. So then they became enslaved uh, to, to them, right? So you had to work off uh, what you owe, okay? All right, so uh, Joseph's reunion with his brothers. So it, it, as we progress through 42 and 43, chapters 42 and 43, uh, Joseph is reunited with his brothers. So remember, He told them, he said, I'm going to be ruler over nations, and they got so jealous, so envious. Not jealous, but envious, envious. It's important to know and understand there is a difference. There is a difference. The Bible reflects God as a jealous God, as a jealous God. And, And to be jealous, and this is how I delineate these in my head, is to be jealous is to have A righteous indignation about something that you have ownership of being given to someone else against your will. Whether overtly or covertly, it's being taken away from you and given to another. Envy is when you covet something that belongs to someone else and you want to usurp or take what belongs to someone else for yourself at the expense of them losing whatever it is that belongs to them. So the example that I use oftentimes, times is of course as a woman <laughs> and a wife is that a husband or a wife can be jealous of their affection being uh, demonstrated, displayed, or shared with another lover, another uh, person, another you know uh, person that they're infatuated with being shared with someone else against their will they can be jealous of that affection because that belongs to them. Wherein, on the flip side of that, a mistress, or whether it's male or female, or, you know, a side piece, I think they call them, or, or a male uh, gigolo, whatever, <laughs> cannot Be jealous of the affection that a wife or a husband has towards their spouse. But they can be envious because this is something that they want. All right? So where was I going with that? The brothers were envious of the call that was on Joseph's life. They were envious of what they perceived as an advantage that Joseph had over them. And see, all he did was told them the dream. He didn't tell them all of the hell and the mess that he would have to go through to get to it. It was a process. And I'm almost certain if they could see the end from the beginning, they wouldn't want it no way. Because they wouldn't want to put forth the effort to get it. But that's a different story. We are in the book of Genesis chapter 42 and 43. And so this is where we see Joseph is reunited with his brothers. And so they brought all of the brothers together except the youngest boy, Benjamin. And Benjamin, of course, we remember, he was the child. Earlier, we were talking about how Rachel died bearing a child in childbirth. It was Benjamin that she was bringing into the world. And so Benjamin stayed behind as they went off. The older brothers went off to search for food. And he stayed back with Israel, or Jacob. But his name was turned to Israel at this point. And so Joseph had been uh, unjustly accused and imprisoned and sold. And as a result, his childhood dream was being fulfilled in this very moment when he was reconciled with his brothers. And so we notice, and if you read um, Genesis 42 and 6, where they came before him, and what did they do? They bowed. They bowed, just like he told them they were going to do. They didn't recognize that it was Joseph that they were um, in front of. And so Joseph, he gave them what they were looking for. He gave them the grain that they were looking for. And, but he demanded, because he, Joseph started playing tricks on them. And he pretended like he thought they were spies. And so he said, well, if all of this stuff, well, hold on. He, he pretended like he thought they were spies and they told him, of course, we're not spies. And they told him their story about their father and how their father is still, you know, back in their land, on their land, um, and with their youngest brother and how they lost their older, I mean, you know, their, their other younger brother and, um. And told him all of this story. And so he pretended like he didn't believe him. He said, all right, if all of this is true, I want you to go back. And I want you to bring back that brother. And I want you to bring uh, uh, bring him back. And just to prove that you're telling the truth. And the reason I'm stuttering is because he, he told him, bring him back if you want some more of what you got this time. And and if you don't bring them back, you ain't going to see my face nowhere because I ain't going to be bothered with you. As a matter of fact, while you're uh, going back, you leave one of you here for collateral because I I really don't believe y'all. Y'all trying to figure out what we got going on here. And so he sent them back but he sent them back with everything they came with with everything uh that they came with uh he he put it back in their bags and their bags were filled with the money that not just the grain that they came to buy but also the money that they uh came to spend. And so when they got back to their land, they said, oh man, we got the grain and the money. And by good faith, they wanted to return it. When they got back, they explained to their dad what was going on and and what had occurred. And the dad was saying, well, we need food or we're going to die. He said, well, if we are going to get the food, we need to take Benjamin back with us Because he said, if we don't, he's not even going to face us. And and so at that point, Jacob was like, "Uh, well, or or Israel, he was like, well, maybe we should just die. Because I'm not willing to send another one of my sons with y'all. And so they convinced him. And they said, look, you know, uh, Judah told him, put it on me. If we don't come back, you can have my life and my sons. They're willing to barter and, and do all of these things and uh oh yeah and Joseph Joseph he got emotional because oh well this okay that's why because that ain't happened yet uh so they return with Benjamin they return with Benjamin to get and 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 go in and read read the story so you can get all of the context. I I may miss some pieces or you know not expound on certain areas. So go back and read it for yourself. But Joseph, uh Joseph was um what was I saying? Okay, so they brought him back. They brought Benjamin back so they can get more grain. Uh, they had the money that they brought with them. They were going to give them that. And then not only that, they were going to give, you know, buy more stuff. And so when when they, I don't know what this guy's title was, official or whatever, uh, when they went to him and said, look, it must have been some kind of mistake because, you know, we paid, but when we got home, all our money was there. And he told them, he said, well, no, nah, y'all, y'all good because... You know, Joseph made sure I got everything I needed. And um, it was all paid for by you guys. So that must have been just God blessing (laughs) y'all. So so now we got Benjamin here and Joseph want to play another trick on him. And uh, he gave them more grain, let Simeon go. Simeon was the brother that was left behind. And he said, well, y'all go back and. And, and you know take care of your family we're going to send you with this grain and, and whatever but he told his worker to put his scepter or his cup in, uh, in one of their bags and he put it in Benjamin's bag and so before they left he pretended that something was missing so he said well whoever had it Whoever have it, I'm gonna take their life. And so the brothers being confident said, well, we know we ain't taking it. Ain't nobody here to take it. If you find it, you can have their life. And so the uh, cup was found and uh, uh Benjamin's. Bad. and it's funny because it's oh my god this is this this just really touches me but it makes me emotional to think about because um of my own trauma right dealing with people doing things for no reason but judah of all of the brothers this is the one that wanted to sell joseph into Slavery, he had the audacity, mitigated gall, to offer up himself in place of Benjamin. Now, I would say, you know, we all learn from our mistakes, and maybe he had a guilty conscience for what he did to Joseph. But of all of the brothers, for him to be the one to stand up, it it really made Joseph emotional. It made him emotional. The Bible doesn't clue us into whether that emotion was really sorrow because his brother stood up for for the younger brother and and the very one that sold him or, or recommended to sell him. Or if it was just that he saw the reformation, he saw him reform and the redemptive quality of throwing yourself on the knife for another, you know, if that touched him. And again, I didn't get out of it, which it was, and maybe you all have a different perspective, but in my mind, because of what he said next, I believe that his emotion had less to do with him individually and what he had suffered and more to do with how God evolved Judah in such a way that he would sacrifice and give his only life for his brother. He was ready to trade himself into slavery so that his baby brother would not have to endure. He didn't know whether he was guilty or innocent, but I believe in my mind that he probably resolved to the fact that it does not matter. <laughs> I'm not going to let my brother be a slave. Take me. Take me. And so, um, the Bible does tell us that Joseph was overwhelmed with emotion. He couldn't even look at him. <laughs> he pussed he out. And he seemed to be a real sensitive person, but how many know Mm. Trauma will make you sensitive. Trauma, bullied, abused, picked on, threatened, sold, that'll make you emotional. All right, so, uh, Joseph. Eventually, let them know what was really going on. And he revealed his identity to them. And he told them about everything that happened. And he also told them, he said, Look, all of this stuff that, that has occurred in my life. What you meant for bad God turned for my good. And because of the God that I serve is all powerful. Nothing, God, absolutely nothing that you have done would have been allowed had it not been God's sovereign will. So even though you've done these things, it was in God's will and his plan for my life. (laughs) So immediately he forgave them. And so Jacob uh, told him, go back, go get your father, go get our father, bring him back. Bring back your family. And you all can live here and I'll take care of you. And because of the favor that he had with Pharaoh, Pharaoh embraced his family and 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 they took care of them. They they lived well. They lived well. He brought them all from Egypt. I mean, brought brought his whole family to Egypt, and they settled in a place called Goshen. Goshen, we we remember uh, Goshen. It talks about that in the New Testament, and so. Time passed, and Jacob, or Israel, dies. And he blesses Joseph's sons. He blessed all of his sons, and and he blessed Joseph's sons um, and gave the greater blessing to his younger son, Ephraim. And this is in parallel to what we saw happening with Jacob with his own brother Esau. So he carried that on as he died. (laughs) As the Bible continues on in uh, 49 and beyond where he begins to Narrate the blessings over his sons. A lot of them. When when you read them, you gotta go back and read specifically what he gave one son, you know, or the next or the next. But the thing that got me was, I believe it was um, the oldest son had messed around with his wife. And so, so as a result, we know that he didn't get no blessing. And some of the blessings, when you read through them, it it seemed like they were curses. You know, and I think I did a, a um, podcast once uh that talked about each of the individual blessings so i can't think of the name of it what what the name of it was but anyway go back and and listen go back and listen to them uh and, and you'll see but i think it was reuben reuben was the oldest one and he slept with the, the wife, so he ain't get nothing. And I think Joseph's blessing was passed down to his two sons. Um, and then the others, just go back and, and, and read it for yourself. Uh, Judah definitely was made a ruler. Um, yeah, I don't know. I forgot what point I was making there. But anyway, go back and, and listen to them. Uh but the point that I'm making is that after he passed away, he had given those blessings but after he died, the brothers thought still because they they couldn't get with the fact that Joseph had forgiven them. And so they just assumed that after the father died that um Joseph was going to now take uh, avenge or take revenge on the things that they had done to him. So they made up a lie, and they said, well, Daddy said, (laughs) Daddy said, don't come after us, you know. And uh, Joseph had no intentions of doing that because he told him, he said, even though what you intended to do to me was harmful, God intended it for my good to preserve so many people as he's doing today. And so they continue to live on, but as the book uh, concludes, we find that Joseph's life is ending. So Joseph lives the duration of his life, and so there is a new Pharaoh in town who does not know Joseph, Uh, and does not, is not um, privy to that generation before, and so they begin to run into some challenges now as the children of Israel, amen. So, this will take us into Exodus, Exodus is going to begin with the story of Moses and introducing him. But as I mentioned, I hope I mentioned this earlier, you know, with Moses, it was important for him because we believe, we believe based on the knowledge that has been shared with us that Moses is the author of the five initial books of the Bible. So either he directly authored them or he was a a prominent part of uh, uh, the uh, scribing these, so Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, we believe that um, Moses was the author, and so it was important that he set the stage for us in understanding the book of Genesis the heritage, the history. And how these things began. So now we are coming to the conclusion of Genesis. And the first family. We learned about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And we learned about Adam and Eve and Job and Noah. And all of these characters in the Bible. That Moses thought we need to add context to the story. So that you can understand it's imperative that we go through this chronological review so that we understand the Bible in context. We notice that the Bible is a theologic or theological reference book, right? It teaches us about God, His identity, His character, who He is. So it is a theological theology, meaning the study of. God. So it teaches us about God. It is also a historic perspective. It helps us to understand the historic setting around the stories that are told. In addition to that, it is It is a book of non-literal illustrations, illustrations to help us to gain the main message of the Bible, but not literal, um, most oftentimes, allegories or allegories or uh, types of demonstrative illustrations that are used to give us ideals in our mind to help us to Uh, understand or comprehend the main points. So an allegory is something like uh, someone would say, I'm hungry and I I want to have uh, a lot of ice cream. I want to get a mile high ice cream. And and you know that they're not literally saying that they want a mile high ice cream because that would mess up your gut. (laughs) But they're just trying to be, uh, to demonstrate uh, in our, so that our minds can grasp or comprehend better what they're saying. So anyway, um, just wanted to share that. But this concludes our study of Genesis. And I pray that it was a blessing to you. And I am so ready to cross over into the book of Exodus. Amen. All right. Love you all. Have a blessed day.